0: and welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. I'm Melissa Lima, your North Coast and Organic Field Services rep, fresh off a stint at the World Ag Expo this week. And because we were pretty busy at the farm show, we are bringing you a repeat this week. We would like to share with you a episode we recorded back in April of 2021, about 11 months ago, with member Tony Lopes of Sustainable Beef, talking about his newly launched business. And just remember, this is uh, recorded a year ago. So there's a few things that may seem out of context, but the situation in the markets has been a little bit fluid. So obviously, there have been some changes over the last 11 months. We're really grateful to Tony for sitting down with us last April, and we hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com slash safety.
2: Well, we are here today with Tony Lopes, and Tony's joining us to talk about his new company, sustain beef that integrates with his family dairy operations to deliver local beef direct from their farm to consumer doorsteps. Some of their options include freezer beef, the Sustaina box and premium individual cuts. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tony.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs>
2: So you and I attended Cal Poly together so it's been it's been pretty fun to watch you launch yourself into the new sustainability beef world as we get started maybe could you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself your background and your current careers which might be plural
1: <laughs> yeah so uh, my name is Tony Lopes uh, as you mentioned graduated Cal Poly in 2018 with a degree in dairy science and returned back home to Work alongside my parents, Paul and Darlene, on our uh, fourth generation family dairy farm in Justine, California. Um, diversification and, and really just optimization across our business has been uh, at the forefront of my mind uh, coming back. And, and part of that was utilizing uh, premium angus genetics on our Holsteins um, as, as part of our genetic management plan. And uh, when we built out that business and, and we're currently feeding about 2,500 head of, of these Angus cross cattle and marketing them uh, every year, uh, had the opportunity to learn a little bit more um, from some of uh, the climate science coming out of UC Davis, uh, had the opportunity to watch these cattle perform, take them all the way to harvest. And, and when we combined some of that, that, uh, that climate research that, that indicated that that our Holstein mother cow herd sourced beef was able to provide beef to consumers at a, at a lower net carbon footprint um, with the fact that, that these cattle are, are genetically selected for extremely well-marbled and, and very tender steaks uh, just got, got the idea and the inspiration to, to try and offer that to consumers and, and along the way um, tell the story of, of California agriculture and family farming, Direct to consumers in a way that that ideally um, could could showcase our values as as a dairy industry, as a family farm, and and uh, offer them something different than than what currently existed in the marketplace.
2: That's great. I think it's it's ever important moving forward that we continue to create those connections. So I think that sustainable beef, like you said, has been a really great opportunity to showcase what you're doing to be environmentally friendly on the dairy and how that that links in with beef production as well. I think that often a lot of times our producers, which most of our listeners on this podcast are dairy producers and western members, are curious to learn more about who is consuming the end product of their of their of their spoils and toils, I guess. So um, what have you learned about consumers through your research and interaction with them as you've started sustaina Beef?
1: So that's been one of the, the funnest parts of, of hopping out into the, the world of Sustain a Beef. You know, my entire life in agriculture at every one of the FFA speech contests and, and talking with people, uh, we're always very proud of the fact that we feed the world. That's, you know, that's, that's kind of our tagline. That's what we, each and every day we get up, we produce food and we're very proud of that. Uh, but for the overwhelming majority of us, we don't actually interact in any way with our customer. You know, if we're producing milk, a truck picks it up, takes it to a processing facility, uh, whether we're cooperative members or, or, or a direct, uh, direct shipper to a processor, they're the ones that are handling uh, the logistics of turning that into a saleable product and then actually managing the relationships to get that food to its end user. And so, um, sustain a beef gave me the opportunity to actually, uh, you know, manage every aspect of farm to fork and get to interact with consumers, you know, at their doorstep, uh, in their driveway and really, uh, seek to understand what matters to them, what they get excited about, um, you know, education going in both directions of understanding what their, what their needs are, what they like, what they don't like, uh, what drew them to the product, what aspects of our messaging uh, really click with them. And then also um, because this product is a little bit of a different configuration than what they're used to in the grocery store, the opportunity to educate them a little bit about, you know, hey, not every cut that comes off of a steer is a filet mignon. This is a flank steak. This is, you know, how my family Growing up when we had beef in the freezer, this is, you know, these are the recipes we use for fl- flank steak. This is how we cook a, a rump roast. And so it, it's kind of a cool fusion of uh, them asking questions about why we're doing what we're doing, why the product uh, configuration is what it is. And then, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting the benefit of learning directly from them as far as what they like, don't like, um, you know, what aspects of the food service industry and the agriculture industries don't, uh, either they don't fully understand or, or don't exactly fit their value system. So it's been super rewarding to, to be able to actually have conversations with people consuming the product of, of my family's uh, toils and uh, really, really value that.
2: Well, I'll agree. I got my uh, sustainable beef box pretty early on when you got started and there were definitely some cuts of beef in there that I wouldn't have traditionally bought at the grocery store. Um, I think one of the cuts was the Korean beef short ribs and it was actually really fun because it pushed me to kind of branch out of my comfort zone a little bit, look up a new recipe, make something different and really hopefully utilize more cuts of beef instead of just the normal ground beef and like you said, steak that I would buy at the grocery store. So I even found that in myself.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And we like to talk a lot about the sustainability of our supply chain. Uh, about the things that we're doing on farm to be more sustainable, uh, produce a lower net carbon footprint product. Uh, but sustainability is is also eliminating waste. And so if we can add value to some of these auxiliary cuts uh, that would traditionally end up in ground, uh, that's, you know, that's how we are working to bring a more sustainable uh, offering from each and every animal is to give people that opportunity to, to be adventurous and, you know, try out short ribs and, and, you know, try a skirt steak for the first time and, you know, things of that nature.
2: Exactly. And I think you've hopefully found a nice little niche time where people are really starting to cook more. They've been home more in the last year and trying new recipes and, and branching out. Um, so you've touched on it before, kind of in your introduction, but would you mind going a little deeper and talking about how is your company to Beef really integrated with your family's current dairy operations? How did that work maybe more from a dairy side or a family side even?
1: Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, utilizing uh, as part of our genetic management plan, uh, utilizing Angus semen on our lower genetic merit and lower potential animals um, really drives a lot of synergies across our business. So we're able to better manage the number of heifers uh, and replacements that we're making, uh, which from an economic standpoint for our business is, is, is beneficial. We're able to ensure that the future of our cow herd is gonna be the, the types of highly efficient, highly productive, healthy cows that um, is, is going to enable our core business, the dairy, to continue to succeed uh, while simultaneously adding value because we're able to utilize so much of, of, of this high quality, um, high genetic merit, angus semen. And so what we're doing with those uh, black-hided angus calves Um, from the get go, when we started utilizing, we, we never wanted to be part of kind of the generic, uh, day old calf market, uh, because we really saw value in what we were doing, utilizing higher above average genetics, um, on to, to create these crossbred cattle. So we've been, uh, raising those, um, and at different points in time, there's been different marketing opportunities. Of course, the pandemic, like everything else kind of, um, Threw a wrench into that uh, as far as the the marketing of the feeder cattle, but we've sold as light as 350 pounds and uh, loads of cattle as heavy as as 900 pounds into the traditional feedlot industry uh, to various buyers uh, across the Western United States, and that's been um, a really uh, a really great learning experience, um, an opportunity for us to diversify our business. Um, it's helped us gain, you know the the, the feedlot industry and the, the mechanisms that are necessary to be profitable um, in, in the feedlot industry, the cattle feeding industry, they just have a, a much different way of looking at, at cost of gain and, and cost of growth. And so it's been uh, tremendously valuable to our business to learn that uh, aspect of it and then sustain a beef being able to um, you know, work in, in, in concert with that process where I can pull out different steers that fit my program um, and, and finish the feeding out process on those myself. Um, there's just been, again, a lot of synergies. It's been a very, um, a very valuable process for, for the family farm. Um, and, and one that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, the, the family dynamics of it all, um, you know, it's one that older generations uh, my grandparents my parents uh, they were kind of thinking I was crazy the first time I said hey let's raise some 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 beef cattle and so we started small and we started slow and and uh, really gained some familiarity with it and then we were able to jump in uh, you know with put both feet forward and and it's been a very rewarding experience it's one that's that's benefited our dairy um, and and our newly created uh, cattle division and and uh, now sustain a beef so Top to bottom, uh, I've made, made this remark to other dairy producers, that utilizing uh, beef semen in your herd is, is kind of the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, you, you, you can do a much better job managing your heifer inventory. You can drive genetic progress. Um, calving difficulties are virtually non-existent. Uh, it's just a smaller calf. It's a very hardy calf to raise, um, and, and there's a, a value-added premium there.
2: Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch how that's really evolved even over the last five years. So it's definitely exciting to see it really come full circle on some operations. Um, kind of as we move, let's bounce maybe over to the consumer side a little bit and let you talk just a little bit about what are the Sustainable Beef products and options for a consumer when they hop onto your website and start poking around?
1: Yeah, so as of right now, uh, we offer two main pathways for for beef to to make it into a consumer's uh, onto a consumer's table, um, so we've got a freezer beef option um, that mirrors a lot of a lot of other uh, direct to consumer, uh, whether they're ranchers, dairymen, um, selling either a whole steer or a half steer. Um, termed freezer beef is is kind of the most popular prevailing industry way of farmers to sell uh, animals. So we wanted to offer that. Um, to consumers, those that wish to uh, buy large quantity of beef all at one time. Um, and, and currently we're running a promotion where that comes with a free chest freezer. Uh, but what we've really found success with is is the sustain a box. That's the majority of, of the beef that we sell. And so what that uh, essentially is, is over the course of a year, if you get a monthly sustain a box, it breaks out to a quarter of beef. Um, so it's, it's 12 monthly, uh, boxes 10 pounds each and those are going to be formulated in roughly the proportions that that nature intended. So that's going to be 25 to 30 percent primal steaks, think ribeyes, filet mignon, New York's, t-bones, skirts, flanks, carne asada. Um, 25 to 30 percent is going to be um, roast and specialty cuts. So chuck, tri-tip, brisket, uh, the short ribs that you mentioned. And then the remaining 50% is going to be high quality ground. And that's generally split between third pound patties and uh, one pound um, whole ground beef packages. And we ship that uh, direct to consumers under dry ice, um, utilizing biodegradable box components. Uh, we've got a cornstarch based box insulation as opposed to foam that, again, fits. Fits what we want to be from a sustainability standpoint of, of decreasing overall waste and the carbon footprint and net net environmental, environmental impact of, of beef consumption. And so uh, whether people do the monthly subscription, uh, there's the option on the site to do it every other month uh, or just buy one box uh, at a time. Uh, I've kind of looked at this process as um, sort of a big experiment of trying to figure out what product configurations consumers find value in. And it's really interesting in talking with people, um, you know, that 10 pound box was sort of my best guess at what would be a middle ground of, of the appropriate amount of beef, um, for, for a family. And, you know, talking with certain people, that box is a little bit too big, other people, the box is a little bit too small. And so, um, Due to some processing constraints in the state that, that were exacerbated by by COVID, uh, haven't been able to fully scale up and and harvest as many steers as as we have potential demand for, and so we've been limited in our ability to offer a five pound box or you know an 18 pound box uh, as of yet. But our, our goal is as we move forward to further custom, create further customization and the opportunity for for customers to. Uh, choose certain cuts uh, in in customizing a box that better fit their needs. If they need, you know, four New York steaks because they're a family of four as opposed to two you know, just offering solutions to, to best meet their needs.
2: Well, that kind of leads me into my, my next question. If you don't mind sharing, you kind of talked about some constraints that you've undergone. Maybe one or some of the steps or procedures you've had to go through or, even challenges, anything that's been completely unexpected or just a really good learning opportunity?
1: Yeah, yeah. That, uh, I think anyone in business will tell you that business in itself presents a lot of challenges. And you know, certainly over the course of my lifetime, working alongside my parents on our family business, I was aware of that. What I don't think I was fully prepared for with a startup is just the fact that there's no historical baseline for you to use on, on making any virtually any decision. So like on the farm, for example, um, as you're calling me today, today we're, you know, we're ordering feed and and we have a good baseline. We know that last week we used X amount of, you know, X number of loads of rolled corn. So that's a good idea for how much we're going to buy this week to how many loads we're going to bring in. Uh, when it came to sustain a beef uh, I really had no idea as I was building the website and, you know, brainstorming some of the marketing and and what kind of push and what kind of product offering. I didn't know if, you know, I needed to have four steers harvested, 10 steers harvested, and then how do I stack that out over time? And with a subscription based model, um, sort of the worst nightmare for me is that I've got a subscriber and I don't have enough beef to fulfill that order. And so growth and, and inventory management uh, over time is, is a really, really tricky component of it. And uh, frankly, at, at different points in time, um, it w- was extremely, uh, I, I think probably the word to use would be terrifying. There's just not, you know, not knowing exactly the best way to deploy capital um, If you know, they always say, if you build it, they will come. Uh, And I was kind of tasked with okay, I'm building something. Is anyone going to come when I launched? When I finally launched the website, will anybody? Does this actually fit? Do are there actually consumers out there that are going to value this product offering? And I've been really, really humbled that that so many of of my my great subscribers have, have been on board from very early on. Uh, continue receiving boxes and, and giving me a lot of feedback and helping me learn and grow and and make the product offering better fit their needs and so it's it's been a very rewarding experience very challenging um, you know as I mentioned before the pandemic and what that's done to processing supplies um, has has made things challenging but definitely wouldn't wouldn't trade the experience and the opportunity. Uh, it's a much much better education than any uh, business book that that I was reading prior to the launch and I definitely value that.
2: Well Tony as always I really appreciate just your your courage in, in stepping forward in something like that you know there are so many unknowns and unexpected and challenges but I think from that hopefully will come will come really great success so it's always inspiring to listen to stories like yours.
1: <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that, but uh, kind of the tagline I use is that I'm I'm stupid enough to do things I'm not qualified for, and and uh, but whether that's that's courage or ignorance side, I don't know, but I, I'll take the compliment nonetheless. <laughs>
2: Maybe they're interchangeable sometimes. <laughs> Well, we like to ask kind of all of our dairy interview guests a similar question, especially throughout the last year of the pandemic. And especially you, you're a young, diversified dairy producer in California. Are you optimistic about the future? And do you have maybe a message of of optimism, if you are, to share with with your fellow listeners?
1: Absolutely, I'm 100% optimistic about the future of agriculture in California, and the reason for that. Uh, in light of so many challenges is because the opportunities are immense. We've got a consumer base that has never cared more about how their food is produced. And if we can rise to that challenge, um, success and the opportunity to take our fourth generation business and make it a fifth and sixth and seventh generation business will absolutely be there. Um, There's, there's a lot of great places in the world to, to, to milk cows and I certainly don't want to disparage anybody who's out of state or, or anywhere else. But uh, I know for, for my family and myself, there's no place I'd rather be doing business than, than right here in the Central Valley of California. Um, it's, it's our family's legacy to, to live and work here, to contribute, uh, pro- provide meaningful employment to, to the community members and team members that we have, uh, to be able to care for this land. Uh, and our cattle here um, you know i I definitely will not underscore uh, or undersell the the challenges that we face here um, but the fact remains that that i I do believe there are opportunities and and it just requires each and every one of us to do better to be better to run our businesses in a way that previous generations never could have imagined but uh, I am very happy to be a part of this California dairy industry and, and I will do absolutely everything I can to remain a part of it.
2: Well, thanks so much, Tony. And as we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like to add? You kind of just gave us a really great summation, so I won't put you too much on the spot.
1: No, I, I would just say thank you very much uh, to the, to the Western United Dairymen for the work that they do on our behalf. Uh, thanks for, for having me on board and letting me tell a little bit of, of my family story.
2: Well, thanks again. Bennett Environmental, turning your wastewater liabilities into sustainable assets. Learn more at bennett-environmental.com.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Seen and Heard, industry updates for the modern dairy family. We appreciate you listening in for our rerun of Tony Lope's Sustain a Beef episode Next week, we'll return to our regularly scheduled content, where we'll be joined by Anya Radaba, WUD CEO, to talk about a few things going on in the Capitol, especially AB 558, which is a bill that Wood has been working very diligently to defeat. We hope you'll take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to Seen and Heard on your favorite listening platform. And remember, if you have questions, comments, or content requests, you can reach out to Melissa Lima. That's M-L-E-M-A at WUDAries.com or Darby Toth, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com anytime. We hope you have a great week, everyone.
2: While Western United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on seen and heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors.
0: Thank you to Western United Dairies' generous business sponsors: Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG and E and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.